Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0, the mental health podcast that's changing the discussion one voice at a time. Featuring guests that will help end the stigma and keep talking mental health. And now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. Hello. Good morning. (laughs) How's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for taking an hour out of your busy, hopefully wonderful Saturday in the middle of June. In the middle of June. Holy shnikes. Yeah. Um, To be with us, to tune in to us, to listen to our... uh, Humble little show. Humble little show, yes. I was going to say <laughs> something else, but I prefer humble little show. <laughs> so, hope you guys are doing good. Hope you guys are staying healthy. Uh, hope staying you're cool. Sta- staying cool, staying safe. Um, you know, making the most of life. Uh, yeah, it's crazy times. Yeah, it really is. I, I don't even actually remember the last time I left the house. Do you? February. Yeah. It's kind of embarrassing to admit to, but uh, a lot of people are in that boat though, babe. Yeah. You know, I mean people are just now there are some businesses just now starting to open up and people just now starting to come back to work. And like I know here in Michigan on Monday they're gonna finally start opening hair salons and whatnot. And um yeah, I know there are a lot of people excited about that. So, you know, it's uh it's interesting times for sure. You know, this is definitely something we've never uh, never lived through before, uh, all at once anyway. Uh, I know the nation as a whole has, uh, you know, uh, various times in the past. You know, you had the, the you know, pandemic uh, 100 years ago. You had uh, uh, the Depression almost as many years ago uh you had the civil rights riots in the 60s and you know just the fact that all of this is hitting now and the year is only half over Mm -hmm. you know that's the crazy thing is that there's there's still another half of 2020 to get through you know we were all making jokes going into this year from 2019 you know making cracks about stuff like uh barbara walters saying this is 2020 but, you know, this year has really thrown everybody for a loop. It's like a big reset. And I don't know. It's just it's really something to see if you stop and take a step back and look at everything. You know, yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it really you is. I, I, I try to keep from doing that, honestly, because I, I get overwhelmed easy. I'll be honest about that. Mm-hmm. You know, um so I've tried to not look at the big picture and really just kind of take it in, in little portions, yeah. you know, every day and, and just try to keep myself calm and not, you know, freak out about everything that's going on. Yeah. That's, you know, and that's, that's the, really the thing is, you know, with 
everything that's going on this year, it can really be overwhelming, uh, especially if you already wrestle with uh, mental health issues, you know, uh, especially anxiety. Um, this is, you know, things can be fragile for you on a good day. And to be confronted with everything that we've been hit with the last few months, um, it's a really good idea to, you know, kind of take stuff in bite-sized chunks like you're doing, babe. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of immersed in everything. You know, I've been having to work this whole time, as you guys know, and, uh, you know, just seeing everything. And, you know, I, so I kind of look at it like, you know, I get all the information and then, you know, kind of siphon it out to you based on how you're feeling and what you can kind of handle and right. stuff. Which, you know, is, is good in, in some aspects and bad in others. Like it has me, you know, stuck watching the same TV show all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, we've found a couple of new things to watch here and there, but I primarily watch the same stuff over and over again because it's comforting for me. You know, I there's no surprises. I know what's going to happen. And, you know, I I just find comfort in, in watching the certain stuff that I'm used to watching every day. Yep. Um, and it, I know it's annoying, and I know it, it grates on Joe's nerves, but... Sometimes, yeah, it does. I'm not going to lie. There are times where it's like, God, can we please just watch something else? But, you know, um, there are other times where it's like, okay, well, that's on the background. I can concentrate on this and that and this instead, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely pay attention to your mental health um, in these times. You know, don't ignore things and try and muscle through and say, oh, I'm not worried about this. You know, if there's something bothering you, especially, you know, if it's COVID related or if it has to do with uh, Black Lives Matter or, you know, the riots or, you know, police brutality, any of that type of stuff, um, talk to somebody, you know, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, talk to a loved one. Um, find a way to get whatever's bothering you off your chest, you know, because when you carry that stuff around day by day and it compounds and it gets more and more heavy, you know, before you know it, you're just you're crushed under the weight of it. Yeah. So speaking of talking to a therapist, mm-hmm. our guest today is a therapist. She's an author. How fortuitous. How fortuitous, indeed. <laughs> uh, she's an author. She's a podcaster. Uh, she's all around pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are honored to have her on our show today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're excited to talk with her about her book and her practice and all sorts of things. So please, everybody, give a rousing round of applause and welcome <laughs> to the show, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Oh, thank you all so much. <laughs> Welcome and, and hello Welcome from Arkansas. Show, so, what? I'm sorry? I said, uh, welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I said, welcome from Arkansas. <laughs> I love Arkansas. <laughs> That's awesome. How's uh, How are things down in Arkansas? 
Well, it kind of depends on what you're talking about. The weather here is gorgeous today, and it's going to be a beautiful sunny day. Unfortunately, we're one of the communities here in northwest Arkansas that's having a surge of COVID, so really frighteningly so. So um, we're all – the folks that are worried about it are more worried about it, and and, uh, sadly there's some people that don't seem to be taking it very seriously, and hence probably the the surge. So anyway, but I'm here to talk about Perfectly Hidden Depression. Thank you all so much for having me. It's really um, quite an honor to be here. Well, we are very happy to have you. Um, we look forward to uh, shedding light on a, on a number of things yeah, with you. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think Rebecca and I the, met uh, via Twitter, actually. So the Keep Talking mm-hmm. MH hashtag is, and I, I follow that, and so met her there. And, and so I've, I've just, you know, I don't meet very many people via, via Twitter, so it's been fun to actually meet y'all there. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we've been active on there for quite a while, especially yeah. back. Uh, yeah, you guys joined in 2014, so yeah, it's been a while. Wow. Yeah, she fig- she figured it out before I did, and I I kind of have it figured out, but she's the yeah. It was tricky the first the first you know six months or so. I would just go on there and just be so overwhelmed by everything because it just it it's nonstop. It's you know, and you don't know what a hashtag is, and you don't understand <laughs> what everybody's saying, and it's it's so fast moving, and yeah. And we won't, we won't even talk about the the grammar and spelling. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. My best analogy was my best analogy of getting on Twitter was that it felt to me like I was back in the seventh grade at Cotillion. When you entered, and all the all the people were like in little clusters, and you tried to edge yourself into one of those clusters just to see if you could be in that circle, and people sort of looked at you disdainfully. <laughs> so you bounced from circle to circle. That's the way I felt on Twitter for sure. Yeah. Well, you're doing great with it now. I was going over your profile the other day, and and you're really, you know, servicing the the community. You know, it's very valuable information that you're posting. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you're doing a really great job with it. So, yeah, and that's that's the thing is the community on Twitter is just it's for mental health. It's unbelievable. You know, it's it's absolutely amazing the people that we've met through here. uh, The the disparity of souls that can be found is just you know it's encouraging and it's supportive you know and that's and that's great you know there used to be a a lot of trolls early on when we got started we weeded a lot of them out yeah yeah uh that's uh kind of what i was getting at Mm mm-hmm hi well i'll (laughs) i'll try to use your example now maybe i'm Maybe at least I'm up into the ninth grade at this point. No longer seventh grade. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, those were the days. So, so we, if you don't have any questions for us, we are going to start our interrogate our, our questions uh, for you and uh, do some learning about you. Sounds wonderful. Cool. So usually the the first question that we have on the show. Uh, especially with, with people that are being on for the first time, is where does your mental health journey begin? 
Well, I actually had my first therapy session when I was 23 years old. I I had been a fairly sick child and with a neurological condition that kept my life somewhat hampered. And what I found in my early 20s was that I was needing to um, move out of that identity as someone whose life was limited by physical illness. I think I sort of unconsciously still thought of myself as someone who needed to be very careful and um, I, I was living a much smaller life than I needed to live. And it was it was incredible. My, my first therapist had had a, a near-death experience, and she was a fascinating woman. And her name was Anna. I'll never forget. And so she really led me out of that sort of um, very limited place or somewhat limited place and coached me and helped and guided me into a more fulfilled life, and it was wonderful. Uh, then I, when I moved to Texas in my mid-20s, I, well, I went about the business of creating a lot of chaos for about a decade, actually. Um, so I, I started living large, okay, but a little too large. And I had a couple of therapists back then who were really very helpful um, and and I'm sure they uh, sometimes shook their head and thought, what in the heck is she thinking about? But I, um, after I had um, finally matured, I was one of those slow matures. It took me a long time to grow up that um, they really did help me. And I knew I was actually a professional singer in my 20s. I sang hmm. jingles oh, wow. in, during the day in studios. And then I had a group at night. I first sang rock and roll, and I was terrible. And then I sang jazz, which I at least could do somewhat uh, decently. And so that's the way I made my living for about eight years. And um, then I heard about this thing called music therapy that was interesting to me. And I got my degree in music therapy. I put down all the money I had in the world uh, that first year, and then luckily got a graduate um, assistantship. And but then I did my last internship in music therapy in a psych hospital. I thought, oh no, 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 this is. Where it finally everything came together. I was volunteering at the battered women's shelter. I was in therapy, and I was realizing music therapy wasn't really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that's when I said, I want to be a psychologist. And I was not a psychology major in school. So I went back and took a full year of coursework. And, you know, by hook or by crook, I got into a really good program. I think I was a bit of a curiosity, actually. And, um, and hence, nine, in nine years, I went from closing down the Fairmont Hotel in Dallas and singing to seeing my first patient as a PhD psychologist. So it was quite a it was quite a busy nine years. Wow. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, and the and the music thing speaks to my heart. I've been playing guitar for over thirty years, and ah. you know, never never quite was able to to do the professional thing because uh, you know never left Michigan, uh, but um, I always wanted to. But that's. That's awesome. That's that's incredible that you, you know, went from, you know, it, it's it's such a such a wide range going from doing the music thing to to becoming a, a psychologist. I mean, just amazing. Yeah, I, I I really always felt like it gave me um, when I was 
remember thinking that some of some of my colleagues they were of course credible and incredible and they were very smart and but I had lived outside of the academic world for ten years when I began mm-hmm. graduate school and so I really felt like that was a benefit to me that yeah. I'd had you know I'd made my own living and worked and and um, worked very hard at something. And then decided to shift gears, but I not only did my age help me, and I was finally, as I said a few minutes ago, finally emo- emotionally mature, and mm-hmm. um, or fairly so. And so I, I've always felt like it was it gave me a taste of, again, a non-academic life, and and I benefited so much from therapy that that's exactly why I wanted to be one. That's cool, and you know, there's there's definitely something to be said for life experience um, going into really going into any job, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, especially coming into, uh, you know, what you're doing for a living, uh, you know, doing therapy and, you know, being a psychologist and stuff. Um, you know, it's one thing to have an academic say, well, blah, 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 this, that, and that, but it's another for you to be able to say, well, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from because I, I lived through something similar or I did this or I did that, you know, it humanizes. Well, I've now been happily married for 30 years, but back then I, I actually got divorced twice and I can remember not wanting to tell anybody feeling quite a lot of shame about it. When we moved here to Arkansas after, um, I'd gotten my PhD and, and, um, Dallas, and I mean, I remember telling my therapist I wasn't going to tell anybody because this was a much smaller town. And, but there mm-hmm. was a woman sitting across from me. I've probably been here four or five years, and she was getting her second divorce. And she looked at me and she said, "Well, I know you wouldn't know anything about what that feels like." And I made a split decision right then. And I looked at her, although I don't talk about myself much in therapy. All I said to her was, "Well, you're about to join a club that I've been a member of for a long time." And she Aww. just kind of looked at me and said, wow, thanks for sharing that. I said, that's okay. You know, I, uh, you don't, you know, whatever shame you feel, I have also worked through that myself. And so I hope I can help you because of that experience. And um, actually, that's been part of my being on social media now for the last eight years. I've been trying to be very transparent about what my own struggles have been in life. I have a panic disorder. I've had performance anxiety for a long time, and it's much better now, but that was what a lot of my therapy centered around um, back in my 20s, and then I had a history of anorexia, and um, I, I don't have that kind of relationship with food anymore, but that whole thinking still is something that I struggle with, so it's you know, and I've I've chosen to be transparent about that, and I I had a fair amount of fear that to let that be known to you know on the internet was maybe a mistake. But I have found out that quite differently. Um, maybe it's the times, or you know, I think a lot more therapists are being more transparent. Hopefully, helpfully so, not inappropriately so, and mm-hmm. um, so I you know. To my joy and satisfaction, most people have reached out to me and said, you know, it's 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 great that you can talk about yourself to a certain extent and be honest with us about who you really are. And that's, you know, that's I, – I'm, I'm really – and now I've written a book about hidden depression, so it's <laughs> – um, it's 
I certainly uh, know how hard it is, at, well, how hard it can be to mm-hmm. have something that you feel is very secret and you it must remain secret or you'll lose everything that you possibly have gained in life, your status, your success, uh, the respect of other people, and realize that vulnerability is actually, as Brene Brown says, you know, vulnerability is the first step in finding your courage. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You you mentioned your book, and that actually leads into our next question. Uh, it came out in uh, November of 2019. Uh, what is yep. the book's title, and, uh, you know, would you mind telling us about it? Sure. Perfectly. The, the title of the book is Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. And um, I I will tell you and your audience that I never wanted to write a book. I didn't. If I think a psychic told me about ten years ago that I would write a book, <laughs> uh, but I didn't pay much attention to her because I actually had absolutely no plans uh, to do that. And this topic sort of found me um, back in 2014. I, I I do a weekly blog post, and at that time the podcast hadn't started. I didn't start that until 2016. But um, and I was sitting in my sunroom just thinking about what I was going to write about, and I thought about some of the people that I had seen through the years. Th- that their work was very different. They were depressed, but their depression looked, smelled, tasted, touched—you know, whatever. It looked very, very different from other people's classic depression. In fact, mm-hmm. you could really easily diagnose it as anxiety rather than depression. Um, but what was underneath was this very potent, dark loneliness and despair that they didn't let hardly anyone see, and sometimes they really struggled to even let me see it. So I started writing about these people because I I just thought it would be interesting to write about, and I just I just happened on the term. I just kind of came to me that day, perfectly hidden depression. So I wrote the blog post, the perfectly hidden depressed person, are you one? And much to my amazement, by the next day, it had, well, actually, the day I published it, it went viral. And then I, uh, I was writing for the Huffington Post at that time, and they published it. And I had forgotten that I had left my email on the bottom of the post. And by 24 hours, I had hundreds of emails from people saying, this is me. How did you get in my head? I've never heard anybody talk about this. I, I, I remember it took me about three days to, I mean, I literally answered all that I did for three days was answer emails. And um, I, because I'm, I try to be very um, loyal to anybody who's going to write me. And um, so I thought, well, gosh, I need to go look for who's talking about this. And, of course, I found Dr. Brene Brown's work, um, who's done incredible research on vulnerability and imperfection and read her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. That was one of her first, and she's written so many since. Um, But I found her work. I found a book named I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Real, which had been written in 1998 and was a book about covert depression in men. And his premise for the book was that he was saying, I really think depression looks different in men than it looks in women. And I think 
we were somewhat talking about the same thing, but I don't agree with him that it's different in men and women. I just think that women, you know, his, his take was people aren't talking to men about depression because they don't look depressed. And so I, um, I, I thought it was, it was a fascinating book. It's an excellent book if anyone wants to read it, especially men. But I couldn't mm. find, except in the research literature, in the academic literature, any mention of anybody saying, saying there's this link between perfectionism and depression and even suicide. So I looked up the research of people who were uh, doing that kind, and I actually were nice enough over the years to talk with me. Then I began thinking about these people, and I began writing blog posts about it, really kind of trying to filter out my own ideas. I mean, what did I think this was? And as I read and listened and many people wrote to me, um, I began formulating this, what I call a syndrome a perfectly hidden depression, and probably the most well-known syndrome is codependence. Um, most mm. people know that that it's a set of behaviors and beliefs that kind of fall together. People who who are trying to remain in relationship with alcoholics were the first codependent group. So that's how mm-hmm. all that kind of came about. That's a very long story, very long answer <laughs> to your question. No, but that's. That's uh, the, it's it's very helpful. Yeah, and fascinating. And you know, it's I, uh, I I I suffer from depression, and you know, I don't acknowledge it as much as I probably should, uh, just because I I stay focused more on on Beck and what she goes through and what she deals with. And you know, if I'm struggling, she's there for me. Uh, thank God. Um. But yeah, it is. It's it's very hard to talk about, and it's very easy to put a mask on and you know throw a smile on your face and say I'm fine. Yeah, fake it till you make it. Um, yeah. You know, and, I. And if I, I if, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say I. You know, for me, I use humor as a big crutch. You know. Um, not just from the point of view of, you know, I genuinely enjoy making people smile or laugh or whatever, or depending on the joke I tell, cringe. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's easier doing that and deflecting what might actually be going on in my head. Because if I do open up that Pandora's box and, you know, start to kind of let it out, you know, it's, I know it's a drain not only on me, but on whoever I'm talking to about it, you know, if it's a friend or what have you, you know. Well, I don't know if it's a drain. I mean, it, it, if, they're, if they care about you and, I mean, sometimes, yeah, people don't know exactly what to say when depression is chronic, just like any chronic condition, whether it's diabetes or you know, whatever it happens to be, it's hard for people to sometimes hang in there with you when you've got a chronic condition. But I, I want to make a distinction because it's an important one. You know, it sounds like you know you're depressed. You have mm-hmm. some of the classic symptoms of depression. And there's a lot in the, in the popular literature about high-functioning depression and smiling depression. Mm-hmm. Th- those are people who actually, they know they're depressed. They've gone to a doctor and said, I'm depressed. They've, 
gone to a therapist. They've, you know, they're trying to manage with medication, exercise, mindfulness, whatever, you know, they use to try to deal with it. Humor, as you point out. Yep. Um, but but and and those people are probably when they hear the term perfectly hidden depression are going to think that this speaks to them and it does in many ways it does but there's another group the group I'm really trying to reach out to are the people that do not acknowledge they're depressed they have hmm. been probably unconsciously not consciously suppressing depression or or trauma or sadness or anger or whatever it is. It has become such an innate process, most likely having been part of their functioning since they were children, that mm. that sort of compartmentalization and a very rigid compartmentalization of you know pushing away anything that suggests to them that they could be sad or they could be disappointed or fearful or angry or... Um, um, whatever, and they 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 just suppress, 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 and to others, they look highly functioning, highly successful, mm-hmm. uh, loving, caring. Um, they don't look. Dep- no one is looking at them and saying, "Wow, you really look like you're having a tough day." Nobody. Right. Um, and so they've got this feeling in their gut that something is wrong. I had a woman that I was working with who actually came in because of reading about perfectly depression. And she had gone through years of multiple miscarriages. They'd gone through infertility treatment, which had been unsuccessful. They had tried to adopt a child twice, and both adoptions fell through. She had never, never gone through any kind of feelings of Sadness. She had never grieved. She'd never allowed herself to do anything but just keep her nose to the grindstone and saying, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Now, her husband grieved, but she did not. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, they did finally adopt a child, and it was only then that her this wall started crumbling. And she, because she was obviously experiencing these feelings of, well, what it would have been like if these other children had lived as she was loving, mothering this child. And I'll never forget, she said to me one time, I, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning one morning, and I kept feeling this feeling that was trying to emerge, And but I said, could I be depressed? I mean, and she looked up the classic the criteria for classic depression, and she said, I immediately felt such shame because I wasn't that person. I wasn't depressed. I I enjoyed my life. I had many blessings. I was I was not hopeless or helpless or my mind functions very well. And so she mm-hmm. said I was just overwhelmed with shame that I would even consider the idea that I was depressed. Hmm. So they're really uh, and then you can sort of have a mixture of the two. You can have a mixture of a lot of stuff that you don't call depression and some stuff that you do. So it's a little more complicated than someone who just is, is sort of a, a, I mean, believe me, my hat's off to people who are classically depressed and do what you do, Joe, or maybe you do, Rebecca, and saying, 
you know, I've got to live my life. I've, this is a battle I battle every day of my life. Um, and my, I've watched, I've worked with these people for over 25 years. I know how hard that is, and um, what courage it takes. So I, I'm not in any way dismissing or discounting what a, a battle that can be. At the same time, there are these other people who um, are killing themselves. Who everyone looks around and says, "What was wrong?" I mean. She or he didn't. They weren't depressed. What, you know? I yeah. just got through uh, being on a fundraising committee with him, and and he was, or she was my daughter's soccer coach, or she was always so upbeat. I mean, and then they kill themselves. And so um, the research is really showing us that as perfectionism rises in our culture, so does suicidality. Hmm. Wow. Well, I think that's a, a good place for us to to stop and take a break. Yeah, um, sure. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Uh, so we'll be listening to "No One Is Alone" by Alexander Rodriguez, and uh, you guys stay tuned, and we'll catch you on the other side of this. Just don't let it 
it go Things will come out right now We can make it so Uh, I guess we're back. <laughs> uh, hi, welcome back to Voices for Change 2.0. That was surprising. That was uh, that caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> it caught both of us, I think. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm Joe, uh, the beautiful, wonderful, lovely, vivacious, amazing woman sitting next to me is my lovely, wonderful wife, Rebecca. Lands on thick today. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to play my guitar later. So. <laughs> um, and on the line, we have the beautiful, wonderful, and uh, talented Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Well, I, I appreciate those adjectives. <laughs> Doc will let me play my guitar later. Yeah. I don't think she'll have a problem with that. <laughs> so... Um, we were wondering, what are the 10 characteristics of perfectly hidden depression? Sure. They're, they're commingled. Um, and, and, you know, the, the book both describes a condition and describes the syndrome, which, again, I tried to, to ferret out and the best of my ability came up with these 10 traits. I think there are probably more or whatever. As I learn, I hope to, to add to that or, or whittle them down even more um, succinctly. But... Mostly it's um, perfectionism, but not the kind of kind of perfectionism where you're striving for excellence. Much more of a, uh, a perfectionism that is fueled by shame and fear. Um, it's a constant critical inner voice that's going on in, in, inside your head that just pummels you forward to always um, be the most accomplished, the best, uh, the smartest, the hardest working, and all that kind of thing. The hmm. second thing is uh, lots of over-responsibility. These people take way too much on their plate. And when they do put something else on their plate, they don't take anything else off. In fact, they sort of look at me aghast in therapy when I say, so what are you going to give up if you take on that you know, that new task? Um, because mm-hmm. that's how they distract themselves from anything that's going on inwardly. <laughs> there is a lot of – they tend to be a worrier, but again, they're not worriers like – when you have a classic anxiety disorder, they really don't let too many people know they worry, and they they help themselves with a the worry by really needing a lot of control, and they, they take a lot of control. Um, and that's how they handle that sense of worry. Well, I won't worry about it if I just have control of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So they also um, really, there are two that are very closely aligned One is that they discount or deny any kind of painful emotion. In fact, some of the – it's so interesting to me. Um, The next one is they they can't even express it. 
research will show you that um, I, I thought this again this is what's fascinating that people with this kind of perfectionism can identify emotions they can tell you oh yes I'm really sad about having to move um, halfway across the country but then they'll be they, they don't ever cry about it they don't they don't they don't connect with the feeling, especially in front of anybody else. In fact, hardly ever by themselves. So there's one hmm. thing to an identify an emotion. It's something else to actually express it and connect with it. Um, hmm. They also are very stay-in-their-head kind of people. Again, that's kind of fits in with this um, uh, you know, inability to express emotion. They focus a lot on accomplishment as a as a way of making them feel like they have worth. Um, as one woman told me one time, I'm a doer. I mean, I'm a doman, not a human. And so, uh, the more, I mean, they will feel very good about you know, kind of they they keep a lot of lists and they check them off, and that's how they consider themselves successful by what they do. Um, the the next one is really something as a clinician I needed to include because um, often co-occurring again perfectly in depression is not a diagnosis it's a what I consider a syndrome but you can have co-occurring disorders most of which have something to do with control you can have an eating disorder you can have a, a true anxiety disorder like panic attacks or generalized anxiety disorder. You can have troubles with addictions because you're actually trying to uh, control, again, how you're responding to something. So you're sedating yourself. You're escaping. Um, and even even there are other things that can be, you, you can have some bipolar too, which is a very anxious, agitated kind of disorder that is chronic and is cyclic. Um, that can be present. And actually I've had some people ask me about the the issue with ADHD, which is not in the book, but I think it's probably can can have something to do with um, these people who try to mask that they are disorganized and that kind of thing, but it's not going to be the same thing. But it's it's probably could be, it could be part of the picture. Um, hmm. The ninth one is that, um, and so basically what I'm saying by that is just saying, no, I don't want people to hear about uh, perfectly hidden depression say oh well that's what I have versus no you could actually have something that is clinically relevant and you need some attention from a from a doctor or a therapist about it mm-hmm. it seems what people also count their blessings a lot meaning that you know it's a blessing that I was given the opportunity to write a book and that it's published and I'm sitting here talking with you and I've talked with many other people on podcast interviews. But does that mean that there's not some, you know, there are not some hard things about having written a book? There's a lot of vulnerability about having written a book. Uh, I've kind of put myself out there for criticism. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I could be lounging by a swimming pool right now. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> you know, I'd much rather give the time to to the book. And so there are, but people who struggle with perfectly hid depression will say, I have so many blessings. There's no way that I should complain about anything ever. I need to remain sort of eternally grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a problem. The 10th one is that um, most of the time and frequently these people are really successful. 
you know, our society, our culture rewards perfectionism. We reward the person that's there early and leaves late. Uh, we reward the person that makes more money for us than anybody else. They are our, they are our highest um, uh, achiever. And we reward people who go out and raise a lot of money in community uh, nonprofit drives. We we whoever brings the nicest uh, uh, dessert to the <laughs> to your kids' event, you know, gets all kinds of accolades. Um, so you know, we we look at that as something that's um, to be to be um, rewarded and to be um, applauded. What is not usually present is any kind of true intimacy. You know, these people focus on other people a lot. I sort of skipped over that one. They focus on other people a lot, but they don't let anyone else in. And that is where that emotional, there's just such a lack of emotional intimacy. They don't know how to do it. Again, these people, you know, they, hmm. they, they can't express their emotions. They can't connect with them. So they're, the, they're your friend who will always be there for you. That will you'll think, gosh, she's such or he's such a good friend. He always remembers my birthday. But when you stop and think about it, you don't know much about them. And mm-hmm. you'll even if you ask, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm just not a crier, or oh, gosh, I started crying, I never stop, or oh, I'd always tell you if something was wrong, but they never seem to share anything with you. So um, people's relationships are usually on the superficial side. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they're not partnered with people who realize, you know, her best friend moved away and I never saw her deal with that or her mother died or his mother died and never cried. Or it's not that they're maybe, that may, perhaps they are partnered with people who are looking for that sort of intimacy. But often mm-hmm. they are partnered with people who are either narcissistic and really want them to take a lot of responsibility or who are over or under functioners and want them to under function. So there can be a lot of stagnation in their relationships, unfortunately. So you have mm-hmm. this dichotomy between this professional success and this sort of emotional poverty in their personal lives. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. There you yeah, go. That is very- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you well, also I have your own podcast. I came wow. up with those over a series of months, and people would write me and say, well, you're not talking about this, and I'd, I'd change it. And, you know, even I, probably a year from now, I will want to subtract one of those or add something else or as I learn and, hmm. and find out so much more about this kind of perfectionism. But it's, um, I think it, it's, it's um, I've tried to describe it as best I can. I I'm fascinated by it because, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the different aspects and it's like, well, that sounds like this person I know. That sounds like this person right, I know. Right. And, you know, you start kind of cherry picking different little things that are like, wow, this is a lot more of a possibly prevalent situation than, than you know, what you would think. You know, there's a lot of people that, that do these different types of things. And, well, you just know, look at Instagram. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram is filled of, with perfect-looking lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's not um, the, that's not reality. No, right. no, not not remotely. That's why my most popular picture on there is of a leaf. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, my leaf is very honest. It's an mm. honest leaf. 
but uh, sure. you also you also have your own podcast called I the Self Work Pod called the Self Work Podcast. Uh, would you tell us about that and where our listeners can tune in? Sure. Um, it's as you, as you just said, it's called the Self Work in W O R K podcast. Mm-hmm. I started that in 2016. I was really um, it, it wasn't a completely altruistic beginning. <laughs> I <laughs> had been turned down by some publishing companies because they said it was interesting. One, they said we don't know who would buy this book because if you're hiding, why would you buy a book? And all the people I interviewed said, oh, we find a way to buy the book. <laughs> no, no doubt, but we find the perfect way to buy the book. And mm-hmm. I'd say it was for my sister or something. And then um, they said, your platform's not big enough. You're an unknown psychologist in northwest Arkansas. You, you're not on the university faculty. You haven't written anything. Yes, you have a, a, you have a successful blog, but that's not enough. And so I thought, well... I don't want to fill my life with a bunch of stuff, i.e. Twitter, that I don't particularly enjoy. (laughs) So I thought, what could I do that I would truly enjoy, but that would also build my platform? And so I thought about podcasting. It kind of got me back in front of a microphone like a jingle singer, you know, and I got to use my voice. And so um, I started. I jumped in the deep end. I had listened to maybe two or three podcasts in my whole life. And uh, took a course and jumped in the deep end. And I was told at the beginning that um, the the average number of podcasts that people do are eight. So I made sure that I mentioned perfectly hidden depression in the first eight. Uh, but yeah. I'm now on episode 184, and wow. I have loved it. Um, I I have a really diverse audience. I I answer a listener email every week, and. Um, so I do it weekly. I didn't even know when I started, Rebecca and Joe, that a lot of podcasts have seasons and you stop. And I just didn't stop until I was about in, I think it was episode 150 or 60 before I actually stopped and took a two-week break. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, but I've loved it. I have, um, I've talked about perfectly in depression a lot, but I also have really diverse you know, I've, I've I've worked with couples. Uh, I probably a third of my practice is couples, and a lot of um, I talk about my experience with depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders, um, all kinds of things that you find in private practice. Um, talk about what it's like to be a therapist and all kinds of things. So I would love for people to join me over there. And I'm, I'm a, you know, in both the book and the podcast, I'm a real, and as a therapist, I'm very much a what can you do about it kind of person. I'm very direct, um, mm-hmm. and I think that you get hope. For, I mean, you get um, insight is wonderful, and you get you get to connect the dots. But where you get hope is when you begin changing your behavior, so and your thoughts and that sort of thing. So I work. I try every podcast to talk about what are the things you can do about, you know, sometimes you can't do much, but you can do something, you can look for what you have control over. I do want to stress that about the book as well, because the book has 60 exercises and actually five stages of healing. It's, we're not just describing a problem. I'm going to try to help you, uh, guide you to what you can do about it and how to begin to shed this 
veneer of carefully built a carefully built perfect looking life to where you can begin mm-hmm. to breathe and find some self acceptance and find some self compassion. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's definitely a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You know, it's it's just I I I love that you kind of dug into this. You know, really, I, it's it's fascinating, and I think it it you know there are people out there that need the help that don't even acknowledge that they need the help, and uh, wow, I'm just I'm at a loss for words because it's 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 hitting me very profound. You know. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I I will tell you that, um, and when I was trying to figure out for myself, okay, how are you going to describe this and how are you going to help people through it? Uh, In my early blog posts, I had my email again (laughs) at the bottom, and I would say if any of you would like to be anonymously interviewed, um, of course I would have their email, but um, I would so appreciate it because I'm trying to learn. And in about three months' period of time, I had 75 people, around 75 people that had contacted me and they told me a little bit of their story I didn't use all of them because some people were attracted to it that really I felt like um, were didn't particularly fit the rubric as well as others um, or the model or whatever you want to call it and so I did about 60 interviews over now a six-month period of time and from people there was there were people from uh, all over the world and <laughs> my husband and I talked to somebody in New Zealand um, one time and then my husband came in and goes who did you talk to in New Zealand don't do that anymore that <laughs> <laughs> was so expensive so I had to cut out doing international calls but um, I talked with people for at least an hour and a half each um, about their stories in fact those stories are in the book there are good 30 stories in the book from people who uh, wanted to share how they had come to do this, how they had begun to create this suppression of emotions and um, what was what was their story. And instead of some boring chapter on the etiology of perfectly hidden depression, I just tell their stories throughout the book. Yeah. And um, I ask them, why are you risking telling me this you know you don't know me from adam um why are you risking me hearing your story and to a t their answer was i don't want anyone else to live the life i've lived it is lonely it is despairing when i tried to get help i was told i was just overworked i was fatigued i i was anxious and in fact, one man said, I went to a psychiatrist, he had, he handed me a back depression inventory, which I filled out like someone with perfectly in depression. You know, do you feel hopeless? No. Um, and he tried to kill himself about three weeks later. Hmm. And the psychiatrist that had handed him the inventory actually came to see him. So he was in the hospital and, and the psychiatrist was actually somewhat unhappy and said, but you you didn't tell me any of this and the patient the person I was talking to said you didn't ask me the right questions 
the right question would have been, if you feel hopeless, would you tell anyone? Would you reveal it? And the answer again would be no. But that mm-hmm. would lead you to a whole other discussion. So what yeah. I'm trying to do is wake up not only people, not only our culture, um, to this phenomenon and this dynamic, which again, according to the researchers, is growing. Um, and, and certainly I'm seeing it grow. And mm-hmm. But I also want to, and this is the part that I was pretty nervous about because it's a little grandiose of me, actually. <laughs> I'm trying to wake up our profession. You know, people, experienced clinicians know this. In fact, I had someone come up to me at a party over the holidays. Remember those? Remember parties? Um, what, 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 yeah. I don't want to party. Yeah, we don't party anymore. Yeah. But um, he said to me, we all know this exists. You've just given it a name, and that is such an important thing to give it a name. But I want to wake up the mental health profession that depression doesn't always look the same. You know, what they need to be attentive to, and I need to be attentive to, is when what the way people are talking about their lives doesn't fit, or what, I'm sorry, what they're saying about their lives, what they are describing doesn't fit the way they're describing it. To give you an example, there was a man who was telling me about his mother throwing rocks at him and shouting at him about what a, you know, how disgusting he was or whatever. And he was laughing. He said, oh, yeah, I, I was just got really good at avoiding the rocks. And I said, don't you have grandchildren? And he said, yeah. And I said, so if one of your grandchildren was in my yard, in my yard in my office, and someone uh, or you go out and throw a rock at them, or I throw a rock at them, a big rock, would you laugh? And he said, no, of course I wouldn't laugh. I said, so why are you laughing now? You are that yeah. child. And it wasn't funny. It was scary. It was frightening. It was confusing. Um, and, you know, but people have lost touch with that self-compassion. And um, sure enough, guess what? Um, this man had been highly successful, and when he retired, he fell apart. He started hmm. drinking heavily. He didn't know what to do with himself. He started arguing with his wife because, you see, his accomplishments had defined him. Yeah. And when he had to stop and that, that kind of feedback wasn't coming to him anymore, his world fell apart. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it's, yeah, it, that's, that's where we have to kind of put a put an end to the show, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. The good news is that it, you can change. The good news is yeah. you can get better, you can improve, you can find self-acceptance, you can begin to unravel this persona you've created, and you can find out that people really love you, whether you do a lot for them or not. You know, whether you're mm-hmm. the best at what you do, people still love you and accept you and want to be with you, and that's something that people need to know. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Doc, uh, we're almost out of time, but would you please give out your, uh, you know, your social media where where people can track you down sure. if they have any questions or what have you? Awesome. Sure. The book is on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and of course, give your local bookseller a 
uh, a little bit of uh, business and they can order it. They may not have it on their shelves, but they can order it certainly. You can also order it from New Harbinger Publications, who is my publisher. Um, my website is drmargaretrutherford.com. Again, we've mentioned my podcast several times, the Self Work mm-hmm. Podcast. I have a Facebook professional page. Again, boringly, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm on Instagram <laughs> at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. So, anyway, I'm I'm in a lot of places. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Um, And so um, I'm on there. I don't do Twitter a lot. I'm on Pinterest. Um, I'm all over the place. So anyway, um, it's it's easy to find me. Just Google Dr. Margaret Rutherford and boom, (laughs) be there. There you are. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It's been a fascinating conversation and we feel really uh, honored that you took the time out of your day to to be with us here. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, thank- it's it's. I cannot. My gratitude to any podcast who has me on is is immense. So thank you so very much. Oh, it was our pleasure. And you know, we would definitely love to have you back uh, sometime down the road uh, to continue this sure, conversation. Talk about anything new that you might have coming out. Um, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we just we we love talking to you. It was uh, it was a great conversation, and you know, it's a pleasure knowing you now uh, and being I know. to Thank you. You too. Consider, consider you a friend, and uh, we will uh, we'll be ending the show with the song "It Gets Better" by Blake McIver. And see you guys next week. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Put that loaded man